Previously on Gigdom in Pause. I, I have nothing against big, big publishers. I, they do also a great work in bringing very interesting titles. But the more audacious projects that I've seen, it's in small, medium and small publishing companies. Today on Gigdom in Pause. Everybody is entitled to have their own national science fiction. Because the future happens everywhere. This is the, the, you know, the slogan of future fiction. Uh, I believe that uh, the, the old sense of wonder with O should be updated to a sense of wonder with A, wondering. The real science fiction at the moment is going on in countries where nobody would you know, consider it, like China, like India, like Brazil, like... Uh, Russia, like all these developing countries where the future is taking place and shape in a slightly different manner that the Western world is projecting. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and this is Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it's us, who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their story, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world, and I mean the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. Today's guest is Francesco Verso, an Italian science fiction author, editor, and publisher. We'll talk about the books he writes, we'll talk about Italian science fiction and the state of Italian science fiction, but we will also take a wider view. As a publisher, he finds the best short stories around the world that have not been translated, that are unknown outside their country of origin, and he publishes them. Not in English, but in Italian and Chinese. He has amazing collections of stories from amazing parts of the world, and we are going to hear all about it. If you want to know more about the stories you're missing out, listen to this interview. I'm, I'm from Rome, I'm from Italy, and um, my background is uh let's say i've been working for ibm but that was a total waste of time uh, because i didn't really like it and uh it was just a preparation for my second life which is 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 a full-time writer and editor at the moment Mm. um i i started to write lately i didn't was i wasn't very much interested in in writing, I was uh, a, just a normal reader. Uh, but then I studied in Amsterdam. I studied in the Netherlands. And uh, I, I came across a, a secondhand books, bookshop in Amsterdam that was full of paperbacks, uh, science fiction uh, books. And I started to, to read a lot. And, and then I started to, to write. I started to write uh, novels, and I was very lucky because with my second novel, I won the Urania Award, which is the most important Italian science fiction uh, award. So I was published by a major um, publisher uh, called Mondadori uh, yeah. for around 8,000 copies. 
And then I decided to quit my job and... Uh, wait, wait, before that, before that. So you're writing science fiction. Yeah. So when did you start liking science fiction? What age was this? Uh, oh, I was probably 22, 20, 20, okay. 21. Pretty old <laughs> for, for a science fiction reader. I, I was just a normal reader of, uh, of literature. I wasn't into genre so much. Um, so it happened by, by chance because I met this, this bookstore and uh, that was full of Frank Herbert's and Neil Stephenson, Pat mm -hmm. Cadigan and William Gibson. I started mostly with, with cyberpunk. That was my, it was not, it was, it was uh, uh, 1995, 1996. So I was, uh, I am a product of cyberpunk uh, as, a, as, a, as a reader and as a writer and as an editor as well. But I moved on. To oh, other yeah. genre, <laughs> and you wrote your first. So, what happened to your first, uh, the first book you wrote? The first book. The second book won an award. What? Yes. To the first. To the first. Book? The, the the first book. The first book is like uh, is like a, a bad uh, uh, tooth you, that you have to remove. You know, <laughs> you have to do it because you know it's bad. You know it's not gonna make it any 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 anything good i mean it, it's something okay it was a post cyberpunk uh, story uh, where genetically modified food is used as a as a tool to control people um so kind of um, food of mass destruction let's say but it was a you know kind of messy i mean with some good ideas i tested my skills i had to put it out i had to write some 600 pages it took me like wow. four five years to do it but wow yeah i mean I, I the thing is i learned to do research that was something that it became important later because my books are very pa packed with with a lot of information and a lot of research that i do so writing takes a small part of the total amount of time that I dedicate to research. Hmm. So, yeah. and you research like uh, what? Do you research the history? Do you research whether something could actually happen? Uh, Not really. Because, no, I, I, my, my stories are mostly set in near future and on on planet Earth. So, the the most difficult part of research is in the topic. So, for example, with my second book i've researched uh, it, it was a kind of uh, thriller set in russia where uh, androids are used for sex um it's like um addressing the 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 a very dark and sad phenomenon that we have which is the feminicides um men killing women so i imagine that the ministry of internal affairs in russia opens up uh this these houses where androids are used for prostitution so they mm. can do whatever they want, kill them, you know, smash them. So it's a channel to, 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 for all the negative and aggressivity of men uh, or even women, but uh, a way to channel this, this violence, this frustration. 
so I had to research a lot of in terms of uh, fetishism, a lot of in terms of psychology, a lot in terms of uh, um, the the use of of sex and violence, uh, and and also of course uh, also a bit of of artificial intelligence uh, because the main character is uh, is an android that wants to understand what it is to be uh, a man or a woman. Is she she he is or she is a sex shifter, so it can change sex. Mm. Um, and for my, my third novel, it was about mind uploading. So I had to do a lot of research in terms of uh, post-humanism and transhumanism, uh, how to um, uh, do this, this kind of, how to achieve this, this mind uploading. And I had two or three ways. Um, and it's also about prosthetics, uh, cybernetics. So uh, it's also um, took me also a long, long time to do that. And then the, the last one, uh, I mean, not there is another book, but that's that's not really science fiction. It's more satirical and uh, surrealistic uh, fiction. But the last one, which is this one, uh, is about solar punk. Oh, yeah, what's its name? It's see. called The Walkers, I Caminatori. And uh, it's about solar punk. So I had to study a lot of nanotechnology. Uh, I had to study a lot of nomadism. I had to study a lot of nutrition because this story is about how nano machines could affect our biology. Uh, how, how could we, instead of eating three times a day, eat once a month? So making our uh, our uh, let's say nutrition much more efficient the way we assimilate uh, carbohydrates vitamins um, proteins um, so, so I, your books so your books are really uh, grounded in in facts and research and you can feel that reading the books right That's yes let's say that the most difficult part is to make complicated things sound very simple and very easy and very understandable uh, so that in order to do, to do that, you really have to be there and make the technology feel like it's, it's today. It's like you're swiping, you're using an app, you're sending a, uh, an, an emoticon, right? Uh, but if you try to make that understand to somebody that comes from the 1920, that would be, you know, what is that? So I try to gap the technological uh, advance making it sound like it's today, today's life. Um, so this is the, the most complicated part. Um, it's like making the future feel like it's the present. Um, so um, basically, this is the, this is the, this is the quest. This is the, the challenge. And sure. it's fun. I mean, when, when you, when you can project somebody into the next 50 years and they feel at home, they feel that that future could be plausible, then I think that reality starts to feel obsolete. And that is my definition of science fiction. Science fiction is what makes reality obsolete from a technological, political, social point of view. From that time on, when you read that story, you realize that your own reality, your own present, start to 
crumble, start to feel old, start to feel like there is a new seed, a new present that is just emerging from the, the tissue of, of reality. Um, very much like when we read the New Romancer, you know, that uh, it was very much like what? New Romancer, New Romancer oh, by, okay. by William Gibson. It was feeling so, so smooth, so real that you just, you know, fall into, into cyberpunk. <laughs> well, what I'm hearing from you is that you're doing so, if you want to take my reality away, you have to ground and you have to base the new reality. It has to be so real and therefore based on research that I will believe it just yes. like I believe mine and then you can take my reality. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, yes, I measure the quality of science fiction with this uh, uh, plausibility index. Uh, if it, it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of the sense of wonder. Uh, I don't want you to believe that I am suspending your 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 disbelief i want you to believe because you are uh you don't suspend your rationality you use your rationality and your logic to follow my steps to follow my reality so it's mm -hmm. totally the opposite i don't i don't have to make a deal with the with the reader to you know follow me on this uh rabbit hole no get out of the rabbit hole and consider the consistency of this reality as a, as a fact, uh, not as given, but go and, and experience it. And if I did a good job, then you will believe it. Otherwise, it's the classic science fiction, which um, I think it was good at that time, but it's not plausible anymore. And the, the knowledge of the reader is not so much... Um, uh, separated from the knowledge of the author uh, because anybody can, you know, Google anything. And, and so, yes, this, this plausibility is a very important element in the stories that I write and the stories that I select for, for future fiction as well. I also find that uh, you must have noticed this too, that um, the younger we are and the less we know, the more sure we are that our reality is all there is. Young people or inexperienced people are usually very surprised by having learned that things are completely different in another way, or that someone thought of something that isn't in the, in the, within their experience. Mm -hmm. And also changing your opinion is really, really hard until you actually see the other thing, and then it's easy. <laughs> yes. And so I think you're doing something very hard, which is basically... It, it sounds to me like you are basing another reality that takes away many things we take for granted. And if you do it in a way that we believe it, then we no longer have to take those things for granted. And then we can question it. We can understand there's another way, you know. Exactly. I mean, the more, the more you know and the more you understand the relativity of things, and that's why you need to to be very careful uh, with the reality you, you project. Um, mm. Of course, there is always a thesis behind the book. There is a vision that you want to, to test. Mm. Um, so is it, 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 it's a work of fiction that resembles reality. Uh, it doesn't have to be true, uh, but it has to sound true. That's, mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it, I think. Yeah. Because it's, it's a, 
is a is a is a way of thinking that in a way enlightens some some possibilities. And I think our life is a matter of possibilities. You see a chance, you go and get it. I mean, you don't know if it, well, that will turn out to be true. Uh, as, as, as long as you don't try it, as long as you don't test that, that hypothesis. So I, I like to think in that way, that, that science fiction could be then an, an hypothesis that turns out to be good, to be, I mean, even, even though it's bad, you know, because it could be um, very negative. It could be a, a huge warning. It could be, you know, dystopian uh, reality. Mm -hmm. And while you're doing this, like, let's go back a little bit, since I assume most people don't know the state of Italian science fiction. So you said there was uh, a prize, uh, yes. an award given. Can you talk a little bit about that award? Yes. Yes, yes. The, the award was uh, established some 20 years ago uh, by Mondadori, which is a major publishing company. And uh, was uh, was because of the work of, a, of an enlightened editor called Giuseppe Lippi that just uh, unfortunately passed away some years ago. Uh, because mostly Italian science fiction has been dominated like all the rest of the international science fiction by the American and the English. And so for a very long time, you couldn't even approach the Italian market if you were not uh, English. We had a time when we had to change our own names into Frank to words, in my case, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so that I could publish. But now for, I mean, yeah, now that the things are, are, are changed, thanks also to this award. And uh, so we try now to have an identity, to have a national science fiction because we had a long tradition of fantastic, I mean, Italian literature goes back to, you know, <laughs> a very long time. But when it comes to science fiction, we have these prejudices that, you know, um, um, we cannot do it, which is not true. And uh, we have a, a small scene, of course, because our language is not so spoken at the moment. Uh, we have some themes that are related to our history. Many writers are writing about Ucronia, for example, the Roman Empire never ended or the Middle Ages never ended. So a kind of, uh, you know, re rewriting our, our glorious past into the future. Um, so this is a, main, a very important take in, in, in well, science. Yeah, I just, I just realized. Unlike anyone else, like the, the well, the Greek, uh, the Roman, basically everything, the entire European and North American and South American uh, um, societies are mostly based on stuff that came from Rome uh, a couple of thousand years ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the languages, uh, the gods in the beginning, you know. Uh, so you actually, you're in the center of that. So you have a strong basis for science fiction. Yes, yes. The problem, I mean, we have a strong basis for fiction, but we didn't have science. That was the problem. So um, the issue was to close the gap with the, uh, but, well, at the moment, it's not a matter of, of, of science of, is a matter of language, of, uh, of the cultural dominance of the English language 
uh, not just uh, when it comes to Italy, but when it comes to the whole world. So um, the, 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 if you go to a bookstore, the, 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 they want to have American or English uh, science fiction just by definition, uh, like there's nothing else. Uh, so even though you have a wonderful Italian book, you will never be translated into English, it will never be translated into French, because the whole market is in the hands of, of a bunch of people that are completely, have completely subjugated the whole world. And uh, these 200 American and UK authors and the agents and the publishers, they have a grip on, on, all the, on the whole world. Uh, I mean, that's fine uh, as long as these books are, of course, uh, some of them are good, but this process has overshadowed all the other national science fiction communities in the sense that nobody has, has room. Uh, the number of, of books on a percentage that are, that are translated in the U.S. market is 3% non-English uh, written books and in this 3% are included all the languages of the world this is a study by the Rochester University so yeah. it means that there is a system that is exporting their imagination their future their their vision and the whole world is accepting that but there is nothing getting back so it's a one-way system and when it comes to Italy it's a pity because we have, we have not many, of course, but we have some stories that are completely uh, up to the standards of international science fiction. It's just that nobody picks them up, nobody reads them, and nobody translates them. And, and, and I'm sorry, I'm doing my part to try to change this as, uh, with a small press, but uh, of course it's not a fair uh, fight because I'm yeah. fighting the big things. But I'm keeping it with a small press and I'm having fun, and and there is more, much more interest now for, for for science fiction in translation. I would like to mention your friend, uh, Lavi Tidar, yes. my friend also. He just published this book, The Best of World Science Fiction. There are some translations here. Uh, my story was translated from Italian to English by Michael Colbert. So things are moving, and they are changing for best. Cool. I want to get the small press in a minute. I still want to establish Italian science fiction. Yeah, sure. Um, so how many people, like if, if someone publishes a, uh, in Israel, for example, it's a big problem. Yeah. We have like 8 million people, including the kids, the teenagers, you know, yeah. uh, the old, including everyone. So when and science fiction isn't popular, so something is considered a really bestseller if it sells like June sold 15,000 copies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Historically, it's the best uh, one. Original science fiction gets like 700, 800 copies. Yeah. How, the, how does it, what does it look like for uh, Italian authors in Italy, science fiction? Uh, you mean the numbers? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, let's say it's, it's, it's most, maybe it's, it, it depends. I mean, the, when you have an American bestseller, it could sell like, uh, even you know maybe five or ten thousand copies or fifteen thousand copies. I mean I think mm. Dune, Dune. Um, I mean not now because it's just a revival of the a reprint of the book. But uh, 
I think a book by William Gibson, a book by, uh, I don't know, Ian McDonald would, would sell some thousand copies. Um, when it comes to Italian, I mean, you just cut it by two, cut it by three, um, just because of the prejudice, just because that's not just for science fiction, that's for everything. It's for movies, it's for music, it's mm -hmm. for, you know, it's for cultural product. We are just feeling inferior while we are absolutely comparable and sometimes we're even much, much better. Uh, but, uh, but there is this sense of inferiority uh, or this sense of commercial dominance where you see this billboard all over the place. So you are, you know, kind of, uh, wait, 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 but, but now you got me stuck on something else. For science fiction, for sure, and fiction, for sure. But I'm really surprised that this is true for uh, Italian uh, cinema, because you have your own kind of Hollywood. I know you had Fellini and... Uh, we had. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, Clint Eastwood used to come to Italy to shoot his movies, you know. Yeah, sure. That's, that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm joking. Uh, no, but we had Fellini. That, that was a long time ago. We had Antonioni. We had Visconti. We had a right. whole bunch of people. But that, 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 that's, that's what I'm saying. We, uh, we had Cinecittà. We had a moment of time where, you know, we could express these things. Um, but it was just a moment. And, and it's gone. Uh, we didn't nurture it. We didn't, we didn't preserve it. Um, and I think that everybody should do that. I mean, um, everybody is entitled to have their own national science fiction sure. because the future happens everywhere. This is the, the, you know, the slogan of future fiction. Uh, I believe that uh, the, the old sense of wonder with O should be updated to a sense of wonder with A, wondering. The real science fiction at the moment is going on in countries where nobody would, you know, consider it, like China, like India, like Brazil, like uh, Russia, like all these developing countries where the future is taking place and shape in a slightly different manner that the Western world is projecting. And um, even though we have a grip on these in terms of multinationals, uh, in terms of commercial product and in industrial manufacturing, they are using these tools in their own ways. Of course, many of the people don't know about that, but what I've been doing over the last seven years is scouting all these stories, more than 150. And I've found out that there is a treasure there. It's just invisible to the global scene. So talk to talk a little bit about that church. How do you find it? What's in it? Like, what kind of science fiction are you seeing today that is not that is fresh and uh, interesting? Oh well, it's it's the same things. It's the same themes. The thing, same concepts. The same ideas. But <laughs> but here's the thing: um, when you go to an American restaurant and you go to a Japanese restaurant or you go to an Indian restaurant you're eating, but you're eating different things. You have a dish, a first course, a second course, but the ingredients, the flavors are completely different. The experiences are completely different, but you're still digesting something. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing in, in, in fiction. You have a storytelling, 
you have a protagonist, you have a conflict, you have an ending, you have a development, you have topics, which are basically the ingredients of telling a story. But the flavor, the way, the experience, the outcome is completely different, or at least it is slightly different from the usual story that is kind of self-replicating itself over and over again, because there is a kind of blueprint that the American editors or the English editors are imposing on the, on the market, on what is good, acceptable for this idea of an American reader, which I, I really don't know what it is, who he is, how is it made of, it has two heads, three eyes or four legs, it's mm. it's uh it's it's very strange. So um, the the experience that I've I mean, good story is a good story. But one thing is to have it always self-referenced to the anglophone world, and one thing is to try to really go where you've never been before <laughs> in Bangalore, in Shenzhen, and Rio de Janeiro. Uh, you know, one, there, there's an author which I love, which is Ian McDonald, and he kind of did this, a kind of psychogeography of the future, uh, setting his stories in Turkey, in India, in Brazil. He really understood this element of wondering, um, which creates a sense of wonder by definition, because you are extrapolating a future from a different scenario, from a different setting. So you have a different outcome mm. and that creates a um, wonderful thing, even if it's you know, dark and, 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 and pessimistic, but, but it, it's different. So, and, well, if, if, if I might add, add something, yeah. these countries are the oldest countries in the world. They have 3000 years of, of legends, of myth, of, mm. of you know, cosmogony. They have fairy tales, mythology that they can, you know, very easily fish from. And, and then they are also the fast accelerating countries of the world. So this clash of, 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 of things is creating the perfect blend for, for, for stories. So, okay, so let's talk about the things that you're doing with that. Like, you have a small press. Yeah. That creates, that takes science fiction from all around the world. Yes. And does what? Like, in, in what languages do you publish? Mostly I publish in Italian, but for example, I've published this, which is the first, okay. um, it's Indian science fiction anthology in dual language, oh. English and Italian. It's called Avatar. It's one of the first. Uh, now the Golang's uh, book of Indian science fiction has has published a couple of them, but uh, I'm I'm also there with uh, with some short stories, and I've published, for example, the first European science fiction anthology in many many years. Mm. This was published this summer, and this is in English, and uh, I also translate some stories from you know world science fiction, world science fiction number one. Uh, these are stories. From, from many countries, from 15 countries in translation from seven, eight languages. At the moment, we translate from 13 languages. And wow. uh, yeah, I found out that it's a unique project. I, I thought that it was, there was somebody else doing it, 
but uh, I really would like to, 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 to collaborate with other small presses because this is something that big publishers tend not to do. Uh, and, and I understand that because this is, this is a, a risky and very small enterprise. Uh, so they, they are more inclined to very easy and, 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 and rep replicable projects. Um, so um, the, the, um, there is not much money to do, <laughs> of course, mm -hmm. here, but there is a lot of, uh, of uh, interesting cultural elements to develop. So I have the support of some institutions because I'm doing something that is culturally relevant, very relevant. The, the idea of future fiction is to preserve the biodiversity of the future, which means that what would happen if we all speak one language, if we all uh, see one single movie, if we all listen to one single music, if we all eat one single food, the risk of the monoculture is the very fast accelerating disappearing of the biodiversity of our visions, of our imagination. We just all flatten everything into one single vision that rules them all, <laughs> as the, uh, the, the no. Lord used to say, you know. <laughs> uh, but we, we don't want to be ruled. We want to collaborate. We want to cooperate. We want to translate each other's stories to, to see who's really the best. Because I'm, it's very funny when, when I see these books, you know, the best uh, science fiction, um, uh, the, the world's best science fiction or stuff like that, you know. But actually, this is the best of the English language mm -hmm. because, <laughs> because there's nothing else. There's no, no other languages. And Really, uh, I consider now uh, English uh, science fiction an island, you know, is an island in a, in a much wider ocean of, of languages of, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I think the sea around the island is growing because of the internet. I know at least in Israel, because people can find themselves, can find fans. People didn't used to find fans, so you thought you were alone. But now there are communities in every uh, country, and therefore they have buying power, and they can have uh, a publisher, and they, you know, and they can the authors can talk to each other, and all kinds of uh, stuff like that. Yeah, and have events. So, uh, so what kind of uh, things are you working on, like for the future? Right? Are you working? You're working something with Christina. Yes. Uh, you want me to disclosure that? So is, did she tell no, you? No, well, no, no, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, well, you. we'll work. We're working. I'm, I'm working on, on many, um, let's say, regional uh, anthologies. I'm working on um, science fiction from the Andes, the South America. Wow. Uh, yeah, Peru, Chile, Bolivia. Uh, there's a really wonderful material there. Uh, there's a rising consciousness of their their skills or their their tradition. Their yeah, very nice. And uh, I'm, I've just uh, published the African science fiction, um, the first uh, anthology, mostly from from the English language. But on the second edition, I would like to include some stories from French, from from the Francophone Africa. Uh, and then I'm working on a second uh, um, anthology of uh, science fiction from the subcontinent. That means India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, 
and Sri Lanka. Um, I think also South, South Asia is a, is a huge uh, repository of wonderful stories. And I have a long story of publishing books from China. I published more than eight anthologies, both as collection of stories or as personal anthologies of the best uh, Chinese science fiction authors. I've published uh, really the biggest name, Liu Qixin, Han Song, Chen Chufang, Xia Jia, all, all of them. I've, I've been many times in China and I'm also the creative director of the, of the Fishing Fortress Science Fiction Academy in Chongqing, where I run um, a, a science fiction workshop uh, and try to create um, a science fiction translation center, which is called Marco Polo. <laughs> uh, and so we we want to translate stories not from not just from English but from many languages, which is important at the moment. Although of this, like, how are you finding those stories, and how are you able to read them? Like stories from the Andes, stories from yeah. India, stories from yeah. China. Oh well, I've invested uh, in in the translators. They are my eyes. They are my hands. They, they are my scouters. So once Your they know foundation. What, yeah, my foundation, absolutely, because I, I read just English. So um, I, have, I have three ways. The first one is through editors. So now I have contacts with many editors in India, in South America, in Russia, in many countries, really Turkey, uh, many, many countries. Um, and um, and they can provide me with summaries with what are the best stories at the moment. I have a very big network. The second uh, channel is the translators. So they can read the local language, whether it's Chinese or Portuguese or German or French, and they, they come back with suggestions. And uh, then I, I select uh, and contact the authors. The funny thing is that I find the most important authors, mature, old, completely neglected, that have never been, you know, uh, translated. I found a, a huge, a huge author from Romania uh, called George Sasarman. He's a huge figure in Romanian science fiction, just completely unknown, you know. But uh, this is the thing. We are so used to read everything from the US and the UK. And when I say everything, I mean the top and the mid and the low <laughs> that we just don't consider it the best of France, the best of Germany, the best of India, the best of China, the best of Russia, the best of Italy. I mean, uh, what is the cultural net loss of this strategy? It's, it's huge. It's huge. 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 And that's why I go around in places and in countries that people invite me to talk about this, to raise the sleepers, to awaken them, and to, to make them realize that they have a right to the future. And to the, they have a right to write their own science fiction in their own language and be translated, maybe not in English. We don't have to all go there. We can, you know, make side translation from Hebrew to Russian, 
from Russian to Italian, from Spanish to French, from German to Portuguese, from Chinese to Italian. You know, we don't have to go all there. Maybe, yeah, sometimes we can also go there, of course. But everybody is so, so interested and so focused on being translated into English that they forget about the rest of the world. It's, it's true. I've come, you know, I've thought about this. I've come across uh, other authors, like I just interviewed the authors from Spain, uh, who have the same problem, authors from uh, Nigeria and Zimbabwe, and everyone has the same uh, problem with this. And when you said that, I thought maybe it's, it's a money thing, yeah. because the reason we, in Israel, I know when I came, like when I appeared on the scene 20-something years ago, I just saw that people couldn't believe that, you know, an Israeli could write science fiction well, yeah. better than the Americans. And yeah. they said, you know, there's a system there. They have hundreds of millions of people. Yes. Tons of people are sending stuff and they pick the best of the best. And there couldn't be someone who, who didn't go through that system. But I'm also thinking they have the, the best sellers there, Stephen King and Michael Crichton and people who sell, and Asimov also, who, who sell so many books that the books can, can make a million, and that is the dream. Yeah, but... And you but can't do sell, that in Italy. You can't but, they do that. Sell, but they sell so much because they have an industry behind them. Yeah. It's not because they are the best. <laughs> they, the, the, if you give that industry to other authors... They will be also totally, completely comparable, if not even better than that. It's just that they have the industry backing them up. And of course, they become better. And of course, they become more skillful. And of course, they become, you know, uh, these, 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 these storytellers that we know. Because they can do it with research, with, 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 with you know, the investment behind them. And, and that changes the picture because it took me seven years to write a book because I had to work. Because yeah. I couldn't sustain myself just by writing. And in the US, if you win a grant or if you have a, a six-figure contract with somebody, then bang, you have just kids that you know, are just you know, becoming superstars. But come on. They, they, this is just a commercial thing. Uh, we're celebrating Stanislav Lem this year. The, the guy. Yes, here also. Yeah, of course, everywhere. The guy was, you know, a genius. But I mean, how many genius did we lost because we never translated them? This is the thing we have to ask ourselves. Uh, you know, it's it's easy to see the winners, but how many of the losers were really winners if they were given the right chances? Those are great quotes. I can see that you're a writer. <laughs> uh, but my, my point was actually, in addition to that, maybe if someday we could prove that one of these things, that the system of translating the lost authors can get millions, is worth millions, then yeah. everyone will come to that because obviously it's, you know, people translate money into worth. So obviously it's worth something. Uh, but for now, what, what your tool is to raise awareness, right? You basically 
well, not just awareness. I am really collecting the stories. So, um, I mean, I'm, I'm raising the awareness when I go to conventions and I talk to people, but then I go there and I say, okay, who are the best guys here? <laughs> uh, can you provide me with uh, the best stories from the last five years? Mm. And, and I do it. I translate. I mean, I'm not just, uh, you know, sending ideas. I'm physically bringing the book to the world con to the Eurocon, to the italian con to china and bringing this stuff to in front of the people and they can read the things they they can actually get the book you know it's it's in english it's not like a, a an hope an expectation or a desire these are real things of course it's a small press so you cannot get it everywhere you mm-hmm. use amazon which is you know it's a necessary bad let's say uh, but uh, I use it as, as a network, as a distributor. It's the best distributor in the world. So uh, I try to leverage that. But um, really, I'm building a collection of the world's best authors. And when I say the world, I mean the world, not the world in English. Yeah. It's a nice small project, of course. But uh, I think that uh, if, if I can manage to um, convince... <laughs> other uh, small presses in in Germany, uh, in France, uh, in, I don't know, Brazil, in Russia, in China. <laughs> that would be very interesting. So is it sometimes frustrating to, to do that, to, to just fight windmills? Well, it was like that for the first four or five years where I um, I didn't know exactly what the quest was. I knew that I was on a track. I knew that I was in a mission, which is really a mission. But uh, I was feeling, yes, I was feeling like, oh, this is like, uh, what am I going to do? I mean, um, it's so complicated, you know, I'm just uh, getting short stories and nobody's in- really interested in short stories. They want, you know, novels and I don't have the money to translate novels. I don't have the money to take the rights for a novel. So I'm just losing my, because I'm investing my personal money in these, you know, yeah. so I, 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 it's, it's a big risk. Uh-huh. But then... Uh, in 2017, everything changed because I had this crazy idea of, of publishing a book of Chinese science fiction in dual language, in Chinese and Italian. And that changed everything because I had the support of the Confucius Institute, which is the Cultural Institute of China. And they thought this was relevant. And so they helped me and they gave me translators and they supported me with... Uh, uh, buying some copies, uh, yeah, sorry, and uh, that was just the beginning because um, I was able to invite Professor Bu Yen uh, in Italy for a tour, and um, he invited me back in China, and from that time I was back in China six times in two years before the coronavirus. And I've created a network of, of uh, authors and stuff like that. So with China, everything became more interesting um, because uh, after China, there was India. And after India, 
there was other countries like uh, Spain and then and then Brazil and and uh, the project uh, had an, a very clear identity so much so that Audible Italy contacted me and they wanted to buy the whole catalog of stories to be adapted into audiobooks because future fiction became one of the most uh, interesting science fiction projects in, in Italy. And, mm. and, and one year later, I won the European Science Fiction Award as best publisher. So it is frustrating in, in, in the sense that money is, is very hard, it's very difficult. Mm. But I had so much acknowledgement and recognition from the community that I'm doing something relevant. And I know I'm small. I have to be on my part. You know, I cannot raise my, my head too much. But people have a lot of respect for what I'm doing because I'm really digging, digging, digging and, and going where really nobody is, is, is going. And mm -hmm. so uh, I know now that I'm what I'm doing. I have my clear identity and I'm fine. I'm very satisfied with, uh, with, with what I'm finding. And is there like last question on this? Because um, lately there's a more there's a lot more interest in uh, international science fiction. Oh yeah, the people. I mean, you give me you give me uh, ten people in front of me at the book fair. Yeah, I have a conversion rate which is extremely high. Uh, yeah. When they see the things I do, they they don't buy one book. They buy two, three, four, five. Um, this is the thing. Of course, I'm very small, so I'm not in the bookstores. Uh, I'm, I don't have a marketing. I don't have commercial. I'm invisible. But if you put me in front of 10 people, I can convince them that what I'm doing is so interesting, so unique, so original that I never, never read anything like that. So uh, the people want it because they're so tired of the same story over and over again of the same author over and over again. I mean, now things are changing, but in our mind, you know, science fiction is made by a white American guy, right? Um, for a very long time, for 70 years, it was like that. So now the things are slightly changing. So I'm, I, I, I'm putting more emphasis on these because it's not just, you know, people of color or people or, or women. There's more, much more women at the moment but it's more like women from India or, you know, guy from Indonesia or woman from Brazil. These identities are bringing their tradition, their stories, their future, their vision. And that becomes very, very interesting, and very original. So I have no problem whatsoever to sell books in front of people. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Cool. Interesting. <laughs> And I believe it. I want to buy your books. Um, <laughs> Thank you. The, the thing that I really work in now at the moment is not just the consciousness, but is really practical things. So when I, for example, when I won the European uh, award, I went on the stage and I said, fine, I like it, but I'm waiting for the day when we will have this European Science Fiction Award at the Worldcon, when we will have an African Science Fiction Award like the NOMO at the Worldcon, 
when we will have the Seyun Award at the Worldcon, when we will have the Geffen Award at the Worldcon, and I can go on, the Ignotus, the Grand Prix de l'Imaginaire, the Kurds Laspiets. We, we have so many national uh, science fiction awards, which are completely neglected. And we just talk about two, the Yuga yeah. and the Nebula. With all due respect, but if you have a work on, you have to celebrate the world for my. Otherwise, you could call it in another way, <laughs> right? It's, it's... <laughs> so this is something I'm working on to try to extend the concept of the words to other languages and countries. Thank you so much to Francesco. Now listen, in this podcast, I've been talking to creators around the world and this issue of most of us missing out on so many amazing stories in science fiction, fantasy and horror keeps repeating and repeating and repeating. And now there's a new subject that we've talked about in the last two episodes, the way the English speaking science fiction and fantasy world is blockaded against the richness of the science fiction fantasy outside, whether it's the system itself, which Francesco talked about, or in the last episode, Donald showed us how entire African countries are blockaded in a way that almost does not allow access. And without the internet, they had virtually no access to this world. This is something this is something to think about. Since we are creating a huge geekverse quilt around the world in Geekdom in Powers, these issues get exposed and are hopefully highlighted. So write to me what you think at guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, at geekdominpals.com. If you want to find out more about Francesco, in the, his website is futurefiction.org slash Francesco Verso. Uh, all the uh, links are in the show notes. We have his website, his Facebook, his Amazon, and his Twitter. And next time, because there's always a next time, and the Geekverse quilt is huge. We're moving from Italy to the United States and from books to comic books about Native American lore. So from one interviewee, we're moving from one interviewee to a duo of creators with great chemistry. Stick around for that. Geekdomin Powers releases three episodes a week on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Email me with anything at guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, at geekdominpowers.com. The website is geekdominpowers.com on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're at geekdominpowers. My name is Guy Hasson. If you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, which is an experiment in epic fantasy, feel free to check it out. The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day. Ciao.